imagine getting that dream job, that dream opportunity, the thing you work for for so long and you're there and you have it and you can't believe it. And you wake up each morning and you're at that location, at that job. In this case, it's a full scholarship to play baseball. It's a chance to play at a place you love. In the case of Travis Honeyman, it's Boston College. My gosh, he's a New York guy. He knows them so well. He knows the conference. In the case of Wyatt Langford, it's Florida, right? It's it's Florida. It's from Trenton, Florida. It's a University of Florida. It's his dream school. He's a Gator. Now imagine having that job fall flat on its face in a sense. One, each of them got one hit their freshman year. Let me say that again. One, only one. And yet somehow both of them are being talked about in the 2023 draft and deservedly so. Danny, you put together a really good show. And whether it was by accident or whether it was intentional, when you talk about Wyatt Langford, who's heading into his junior year, and Travis Honeyman, who is doing the same, Travis was one for 14 his freshman year. And Wyatt Langford recalls the 50-plus games that he watched. He used that number. I watched that many games. Both of them were dudes. Their numbers are in the rafters in their high school gyms, yada, yada, yada. Quarterbacks, varsity at eighth grade, seventh grade. They, they rewrote the history books in their high school. They each had one hit. I love what they did their second year. And that's what this podcast is about. I definitely did not do this on purpose, but I am very happy with how this turned out. I had no idea that their stories would be so intertwined or that they would both have connected and built a relationship with a former podcast guest. I'll leave his name out of it for now so that you go and listen to it. But both of these guys have learned a lot from another guy in their draft class who could go very, very high this year. And we've already talked to him, but the idea that these guys were the dude, they were the guy in high school and they got their dream schools and then they sat and they watched and they learned and they had some hard lessons to take in, but guess what? They didn't run. They didn't transfer. They didn't go anywhere. They didn't do what we see a lot of guys do right now. They stayed and they put in the work and put in the effort. They got in the gym. They worked on the mental side of the game and they were motivated. There was no sophomore slumps. These guys were dudes their sophomore years and they were a huge reason that both of their programs boston college for travis and then florida for wyatt were really successful and i think that there were some that were making an argument for wyatt langford to be sec player of the year with the numbers that he put up and then they've both now the reason that they're both on this podcast is because they are going to potentially be very high draft picks coming up but both of their paths so similar you threw out those numbers, both of them getting to the next place in their careers in similar ways. So it, it's kind of weird that they, they're coming from different places, yet they're they're both kind of arriving at the same spot. And they both had a lot of same realizations after their freshman year. So I was excited that this turned out this way. I didn't know it was going to, but here we are. And I think that everybody could learn a lot from both of these two guys. Yeah, Langford, if you didn't know it, Homer 26 times his sophomore year, tying the single season record. He had a stretch of 11 games in May where he had 22 hits, 11 walks, and seven homers in an 11-game stretch. It's a joke. And Honeyman went to the Cape and had a, a 930 OPS in the Cape with four home runs. He's an excellent leadoff hitter. Had a 908 OPS at Boston College in 41 games last year. So need to point out their numbers because it, it bears mentioning. And, and just the stories are great. Um, the humility that they show, again, they rewrote all the record books, both have unique 
uh, perfect game, you know, backdrops coming through travel baseball from different parts of the country. And, and I do think there's a theme here of their 20 babies, their 20 grads. It's just 20 sucked. 20 was difficult. Better in Florida. We know that. I mean, Wyatt, I'm sure, got to do more things than Travis, who, you know, had to make things up with his brother. So these are 20 guys, and it's not surprising to see 21 not go well for everybody after what they went through in 20. So it's amazing. It's such, I mean, it's, it's so cool. Also on this podcast, I love mid-major baseball, and I love Chris Prothro. He stepped into that Eastern Kentucky program, and there is, there's an edge that he has. There's an attitude. There's a leadership. He was one of our guests on Perfect Game College Baseball that airs a video show, a streaming show on Perfect Game TV. He and Hunter Pence really kind of break things open. So I love that part of the conversation. Jeremy Brown will join us through the scout size, breaking down kind of the 12, 13, 14-year-old age group at the All-State Games, a wonderful event in the fall. If you haven't heard about it, go look it up. Just Google All-State Games, Perfect Game. Jeremy Brown, the wonderful scout and writer. Um, that's what he has found. That's our podcast. It's a really good one. This may be my favorite of all of our episodes because of what these men have been through. It's not always a yellow brick road. I love this podcast. Wyatt, I think it's cool when a coach says about you, and I'm able to find it on the internet, I've never seen a player change his body and athleticism between seasons as Wyatt did. Using your diet, uh, using your intensity, using your focus. Can you describe to me what, what Coach O'Sullivan's talking about between freshman and sophomore year? That's, that's a huge compliment, right? That's someone noticing your work, but then it's your work playing out. Um, can you explain to me what he means by that? I know it's a positive thing, but what are some of the things you actually did that he's speaking of between those two years? Yeah, I mean, um, the biggest time frame, I guess, when this all happened was after, after the freshman spring um, over, that, over that summer and then over the fall of sophomore year and winter break, I just kind of like, I really focused on my diet and like what I was eating and like putting in my body. And then it's also like how I was working out my body and like doing a lot of physical exercise and stuff. Um, so, I mean, really it was just that and just like the continuous grind and just doing that every day. So when I look back to your time in high school, there are, you know, and when you're playing at that 1A level and you guys were good, I mean, you, you were always in meaningful games. You had an opportunity for yourself during that journey. But when someone's a six-year starter in varsity, that means they're really good starting in middle school. And, and I love the transformation of who you were as a college player, but I'd love to know what it's like to be a seventh and eighth grader playing with 18-year-old men on a high school baseball team. I see it sometimes in my softball interviews, not as much in baseball. What were those days like? Yeah, it was definitely, um, it was pretty tough. I mean, that was a, like a sixth and seventh grader, like moving up to the varsity team, playing with a bunch of 18-year-olds as like a 13-year-old. So it was definitely a big, a big uh, age difference. And it took a little like adjusting too. But um, I was a, I was always like able to handle my own. I did well. I mean, the competition obviously wasn't as good as it could have been, but um, it was good for me to be playing up that whole time and just like facing better competition than I would have this, had I stayed in like a like my own age. Sorry to interrupt you. In the same breath, can I say that? Can I ask you the same thing about football? Because again, you were playing impact games, winning. You know, playing as an all-state linebacker. As a baby, can I can I ask you the same question about football? And if so, how did that – I don't want to sound like an old man, even though I am. How did that toughen you up? Yeah, no, it definitely toughened me up. Um, I think I 
my my eighth grade year of uh yeah my eighth grade year I was on the JV football team and ended up getting moved up to the varsity team and we I mean we had like an amazing team that year we were undefeated and beat everything we played with a running clock and I was I was kind of just like the scout team running back so I was I was a little eighth grader getting ran over by all the older guys but it definitely helped toughen me up and like prepared me for the other years when I started to actually play. I want to circle back really quick because Darren was asking about, you know, the work that you put in to, to make those body transformations. And I read that you, you didn't need any Twinkies. There were no Twinkies allowed in the practicing and, and getting be bigger, better, stronger. Is that true? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. For sure. I no was tracking, yeah, I was tracking everything I had. Yeah. And, and it paid off because I, I, you know, I'm stating the obvious, but you go from your freshman year, you started six years on varsity. You are a, a catcher. You come to Florida and you get four, you're in four games, you get one hit, and then you come back for your next season and you're a completely different person. What did you learn from your freshman year? Yeah. Freshman year was, I mean, it was, there was so much that was learned along the way because I had always, like being in like through high school I was always the guy like I, I played varsity sports all through middle school and high school and I was always like everyone looked at me as being the best but then when I got to college I just I mean I didn't play so that was a tough transition and I mean it wasn't easy um going through the season like having to watch every game be played and just knowing that like I wasn't I wasn't the guy and I wasn't playing so um there's a lot of learning that went into that and it kind of like fueled me to to go in, going into that summer to change my body and just um, just get better. At what point did you realize that the work that you had done between those two seasons was paying off? When did you realize it? Whether it was with your swing, it was in fall ball, or maybe it was just the start of last season. But at what point did you say, okay, I made those changes. I was given the chance coach coach O'Sullivan is giving me this chance and I can see that my hard work's paid off yeah it was probably last fall um when we like just while we were working out and kind of we were doing our speed tests and vertical jumps I just kind of noticed that I was like I was separating myself from like some of the other guys and just I kind of realized that I was made like the physical gains that I had made were definitely you could see them what is what does a run feel like? You went on a run last year, Wyatt, from and I don't know that you categorize this in your head, but I'm guessing you'll zone in on when it occurred in May. I mean, from May 3rd to May 20th, you had an 11 game hitting streak. But, dude, it, it was kind of disgusting. You had 11 walks. You had 22 hits. That's getting on base three times a game. That's not once. That's not twice. But that's three times a game. You homered seven times. Your opponents during that time. And I love this. Mississippi State, Bethune, Cookman. Mizzou, both the Mississippi State and Mizzou were on the road, Florida State and South Carolina. What are those foundational two-week, three-week times like? Because, heck, you may say, Sada, I hope I get to go back to that time ever again in my life, you know, to have yeah. a run like that again. But when you went to bed each night and you reflected on what was going well, what was going well for you? Was it a mental approach? Was it something physical? Because all the pitches were different, the pitchers were different, but it didn't seem to matter for that time span. Yeah. No, I mean, I was just having fun. Um, that was that was kind of pretty shortly after I got thrust in like to the leadoff, the leadoff role for our team. And I had never I had never hit leadoff before. So I was just 
I wasn't really trying to think about like what I was doing when I went up to play. I was just having fun and playing the game. And I mean, I was just seeing the ball really well. So for you, is it an approach? Is it something mechanical? But, you know, have, you know, having one hit in those 11 games, you would not have been having fun. You, you were yeah. having fun because you were hitting. But is it, a, is it an approach? Is it mental? Along with the physical stuff that Danny and I have asked you about, the changing of the bod and all that stuff, is there anything that changed with your approach and your swing? Is there anything that changed in your mind during that season? Yeah, it was all about my approach. My approach from my freshman year to sophomore year completely changed. Expound freshman, upon that. Yeah. Expound no, deeper. Um, freshman year, I was like, I, I knew I wasn't playing kind of, so I would just, I would like, whatever, I'm just going to pull the ball all the time. That's just what I'm going to do, try and hit home runs to my pull side. Because I never had, I never thought any differently about like how to hit. I never thought like deeply about how to hit when I'm facing someone or like competing. And then kind of just last year, about like halfway through, I, I guess, I just kind of like changed my approach and just started working more to that backside gap, the right center field gap, and knowing that I was strong enough and physical enough to be able to put the ball out of the park to all parts of the field and not have to pull the ball. Who do you go to people that you talk hitting with? Is it someone way from back in the day? Is it Florida hardballers? Is it someone from from high school, is it someone that you're currently with in college? Who's your go-to hitting guru? Um, I mean, I really, I really don't have a go-to. Um, I lo- I do a lot of stuff on my own. Like I, I like, I love watching video on my swing and just working on things myself. But I mean, the only other person that I really talk to about it is my dad. He kind of, he was always the one helping me with my swing when I was in high school. Dee, do you want to follow up with that? Well, yeah, I guess I'd love to follow up and ask about your dad. I mean, your relationship with him. If he, if you tell me he's one of your hitting gurus, take me back to those workouts. Take me back to the time in the cage. Take me back to your dad, Michael, and his impact. And does he have baseball in his past? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't. Ha- he doesn't have baseball in his past, really. He just, he's just kind of always been the one that would always push me to go to the cages when I was younger, and then I. And then I finally got to a point where I was pushing him to take me to the cages. And then, um, I don't know, it's just always like the time that we would bond and just really be together. It's just when we were hitting and um, he just did a lot of like, he loved it. He knew I loved it. So he would put in the time, like studying, like studying people's swings, like just watching big league or swing and how their swing looked and watching video on my swing and just comparing and just constantly just working on my swing. How about Pete Alonzo's swing? Do you like his swing? Um, I like it. I've I've never really like compared it to mine. I watched any like video to try and compare it to mine though. Okay. I, I have seen some comparisons. I've seen other people comparing your swings, obviously a former Gator to a guy who's having success in the big leagues right now. You, Darren broke down a little bit about your approach, but if I'm watching you, I, I got to see you play last year, but if I haven't seen you play before and I see you step in the box, what are the differences physically I would see from freshman to sophomore year? Um, I mean, you would see really like, I mean, the biggest thing you would see is just my physical presence, I guess. Like I'm a lot bigger than I used to be. I mean, I'm, I'm around the same weight, but like, I, it looks a lot better now. Um, I'm, I, and I can move, I move a lot better. I look more, I lo- I'm more in rhythm now than I was less like jerky, I guess you could say. And it, like, it just looks better. 
all like overall. Okay. I love that. I love that. And, and for motivating factors, like there's, there's a lot of them I'm sure, but could you share some of them with us motivating factors for you wanting to get better, wanting to play center field for the Gators, wanting to bat lead off for the Gators. What are the motivating factors for you? Yeah. I mean, uh, coming in, I really didn't have any of that motivation. I don't think like my, my goal always was just to play for the Florida Gators. So like coming in as a freshman, I was like, all right, I made it, I guess <laughs> this is it. But then I, I mean, I didn't play and that that's my biggest motivation is that freshman year, just not playing and just remembering, like I watched however 55 games by my freshman year because I wasn't good enough to play. And then just now it's really just like, just pushing myself to be the best version that I can be and the best player that I can be. I think it's such a great story. It's a story of information uh, and inspiration. And it also serves as a cautionary tale. And I hope I don't insult you when I say that. No. Um, it, ha it happened to me too. I was son of a big leaguer, son of a hall of famer, you know, got to college and hit a wall like you did. Didn't have your skills. So I didn't move much past it. Professional baseball, same thing. Well, now I'm here. I'm a pro hit a wall. And, and it, it's, it's a cautionary tale. I've lived it. Wyatt. I get it. And I, I think it's, 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 and it's a small group that gets to listen to that cautionary tale because hardly anybody makes it to D1 baseball anyway, right? So yeah. it's this tiny little group. And it's cool that, that you could actually mention the games you watched. I mean, that's so cool to me. That's so, that's so being aware of yourself. Um, that self-awareness, does that come from home? Is it from mom, Maria? Is it from your dad, Michael? The ability to be self-aware, to be honest with yourself, not everyone can do. Where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it definitely comes from both my parents, just how they raised me and just um, just never like, like, I don't know how to say it, I guess just um, to be honest with myself and not to, to just always like see things how they are. Yeah, because a lot of people see things through the lens of an Instagram, you know, yeah. world or through something that's perfect. And that ain't life, dude. You know, those, no. those, that one for four you had happened. And that was oh, yeah. the whole season, right? That was that was the whole season. And it, it serves as such an amazing, to setting a school record for home runs the next year. It's incredible. How did your Coastal Plain League journey go this past summer? Tell me about it. It was good. I was there for a very short stint. I think it was 10 or 12 games. But, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I bonded with the coach and the team up there. And they were they were kind to let me come up there for that short period of time before I went off to USA. Worth it though to stop there? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was great to get some at bats. I needed to, I needed to play some before I went. And then, and then the USA stop, what did you learn about yourself there? I learned a lot. I mean, I learned that there's a lot of really good players. <laughs> there's a lot of good guys, but I mean, it was a great experience all around getting to travel around and just play with all those guys. That's, that's such a high level. Do you meet a new friend, anybody that you keep in touch with, that you talked hitting with, that you bonded with, that's at a totally different, maybe even a foe school? Um, yeah, um, Jacob Wilson. He's probably, he was my best friend while, while we were out. I still talk to him pretty much every day. Good stuff. That's pretty close, yeah. We like him. We just, we've yeah. had him on this podcast. Friend of yeah, the podcast. He's great, yeah, he's a great yeah. guy. Yeah, we like him a lot. So. How can I get your gear, man? Like, we need to sell your gear. Fanarch.com, fanarch search 
search Wyatt Langford. Uh, <laughs> what what led you to do that? Because I think it's the coolest thing in the world. I found Jordan Walker in there, so I'm going to get some <laughs> some Langford gear and some Jordan Walker gear. He's Danny and I's favorite as well. But tell me a little bit how you got going on marketing your gear. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, yeah, um, I just got I was just reached out about um, starting some merchandise, like a merchandise, I guess, website. And I mean, I was all for it. Like, I mean, why not? So I was kind of thinking. So, and then it ended up doing really good. Like my family and friends, all they love it. I've had a lot of people order it and like, like all the stuff. So it's good. Happy love birthday that. too, by the way. Happy <laughs> birthday. Thank you. What are you much. doing for your birthday today? Just eating with the family. That's about it. Okay. 21, right? Yes, sir. Wow. Well, that's good decision-making on your 21st birthday. And if, <laughs> yeah. you, if, if you are doing more than that, please don't share it on this podcast. Eating dinner with the family, 21 years old. Uh, man, that's awesome. Enjoy your birthday. And thanks for hanging out with us. Your story is a great story. Yeah, and, uh, I do have one more, I realized. So are you, do you, you have texted a cheat? me you were done. You said I know. you wanted to wrap. I, I have one more. Do, do you have All a cheat right. meal? What's your cheat meal? Um, I haven't, I really haven't been too strict this fall. I've done better. Um, okay. Twinkies. Uh, You've had some Twinkies. I've had a few, not, not many. Okay. I, I try to lay off the desserts, but, uh, no, I, I love food. I mean, I guess my favorite cheat meal would probably be pizza. Uh, God. That's bad. probably, that's the best cheat meal I bet. In the middle of leading up to Thanksgiving, there's this incredible brand new event where you represent your state, you play on an all-star caliber team from your state, and then you battle. You've got to be selected. It's Perfect Games All-State Games, and they're going on at East Cobb, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Jeremy Brown, the wonderful leader of all college content, and also at the 1314 Youth Select Festival, scouted these athletes, got to see what was going on. And again, you're looking at college commitment age when you're 13 and 14, if you're top 200. You know, outside of that, keep growing, keep developing. But Jeremy Brown opens up his notebook. What did he see at the All-State game? Hey, guys, Jeremy Brown, National Director of 13 and 14 New Player Development and Select Festivals for Perfect Game. Uh, just got back home from the 14 New All-State game down at East Cobb Complex and getting ready to go back down for 13 New. But before we jump on that plane, let's go over some names who kind of stood out this past weekend Guys who we knew about but really cemented themselves atop the rankings and just straight up new names that we didn't even know about. Obviously, our state directors did, got them to the event. Now they're going to be marking names heading into the summer season. So upon getting to the event, you know, you look through the roster, you see committed kid here, committed kid there. Chesapeake had two of their own, both committed to Virginia Tech, Tegan Leach and Chase Colangelo. Uh, Leach was really a two-way standout this event. We hadn't really seen him this past summer circuit, got back to it this year already, um, Big physical left-hander on the mound, up to 81, 82 with the fastball, but the bat speed from the left side. Um, it's going to be a really interesting profile to follow moving into the summer. Another pair of uh, collegiate teammates and All-State teammates on the Iowa roster, Bo Morio and Tucker Long. Um, Tucker Long's a 2026 right-handed pitcher slash shortstop, a play down young for the age. He came out of the bullpen up to 85. It was my first time personally seeing him. Really long, loose, whippy arms, so like he checks a ton of boxes. The fastball explodes out of his hands, ton of life. He made a relief appearance, then came back to start in the playoffs for Iowa. So those are another two names committed. And then we'll just keep it the theme of college teammate and all-state teammate with the Coastal team. Both had Mac Morris and Griffin McCain. Uh, we did a quick bit on them and why they chose South Carolina. Mac Morris, slick field and middle infielder. We've seen nothing but barrel from him. And it was really more of the same this past weekend, whereas McCain is that long, lanky, left-handed bat that 
You can just dream on for days. Obviously, you see what the Gamecock coaching staff saw in him. Lots of bat speed, but the knowledge of the strike zone also stood out at such a young age. 14 years old at the start of November, you know, you may not think these arms are going to have their best stuff when they tow the rubber. But with Landon Green, uh, it started circulating real fast. Like that first 91 starts getting everybody buzzing. 89-91 in his first inning of work. It had everybody gathering behind the backstop. It was, hey, did you see what Landon just did? Hey, what's he really up to? And then you watch it and it's 90, 90, 91, 89, 88, 90, 90. And then you get the picture. He came out, he threw hard, he attacked the strike zone, and he missed a ton of bats in that first inning. And that was definitely the pitching highlight, um, really the big bright spot of that night, just in terms of velocity and obviously the number four ranked player in the class. So we kind of expected something special out of him. We didn't necessarily think it was going to be that special. But again, it's the arm talent that you just don't see at this age coming out of Landon Green. Right-hander Gavin Knox, we're going to see if he'll commit kind of like with his Chesapeake teammates did to Virginia Tech. Um, but he has established himself as one of the top arms in the class already as well, starting this past fall at the WWBA in West Palm. Fastball mid-80s, but it's the breaking ball that really stands out, the simplicity of the operation. Everything he does is easy. Everything he does is around the strike zone. So between the velocity, the operation, and the curveball, which RPMs are kind of through the roof for the 14U age, uh, it's a very good starting point, and you're going to see Knox rise up the rankings. We saw Landon Green at last year's 13U Select Festival. We also saw Grant Sperandio at last year's 13U Select in Knoxville. The right-hander out of Texas again was up to 85 miles per hour, showing one of the better fastballs in the class at this age. The breaking ball is another pitch that really helps him stand apart. It's a late sweeping slider, and it's one that we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing out of Sperandio already. This event also served kind of as a breakout for some players. You know, we had the 12 view a couple years back with the Select Festival. Some of the guys we watched this past summer, some of them we didn't get to see much on the circuit. Then they come out this year already at 14U. They're making that next jump that you would hope to see and expect. Colton Gallardo up to 87 miles per hour. Um, that's a big jump from the low 80s we saw this past summer. We'd already spoken about Tegan Leach. And as you look, the players just continue to kind of make their marks. Carson Lidl was jumped back on the mound, 83-85, fast arm, a lot of strikes. And one of the more physical players in attendance, a true two-way the bat speed hit right in front of Broder Khaki. The bat speed, the strength, everything you want in a young prospect out of the North, Carson Lidl's bringing to the table. Deuce Jenkins from Mississippi kind of jumped on the scene. This was his coming out party. Big physical left-handed bat. One that we're going to hear a lot about, but it was his overall approach that truly stood out. You know, yes, he could turn on the ball, and he did so a couple of times, impacting the baseball. But he also showed with two strikes on him, he's going to shorten up, put the bat to ball, do whatever it takes, and... From it my being my first personal time seeing him, it was a really good showing for Deuce Jenkins. Of course, we got to talk about some offensive standouts, and boy, there were there were a ton of them. I mean, J.C. Pacheco almost went yard on field one, full-size diamond there at East Cobb, and he one-hopped the fence for a ground rule double. He swung it well all re weekend, showed some of the better plate discipline and approach when he was in the left-handed batter's box. Broder Katke is a name we've come to know. 13U Select Festival alum hit right in the middle of that order with Carson Lidl for the Midwest. And it was consistent barrels. He looks to have grown a little bit, added some strength to him, and it's an all-fields approach, ton of line drive with backspin and real jump coming off of the barrel. Tyler Shindo, Max Hemingway, two middle infielders, left-handed hitters, uh, Shindo from Hawaii, Hemingway from the Pacific Northwest. Anytime you really saw him, they were doing something. 
They're not the most physical of players, but they don't need to be because they handle the barrel. They can see the situation and adapt to it. Schindel dropped down a couple of bunt singles of his own. So just really good baseball IQ there from a pair of left-handed hitting middle infielders. Of course, you got to talk about the champions, Texas. Uh, they kind of did it all, offense, defense, talent on the mound. And two bats who really stood out, obviously they got co-MVP, so they did something. Nomar Torres, shortstop, 13U Select Festival alum, and Tyson McFarlane, who might be the most athletic kid in attendance this past weekend. You know, he stole bags, found his way on base, short little stroke, uh, center field type, center field type. It's really game-changing speed. He'd draw a walk, he'd get a single. Within three pitches, he seemed to have scored almost every time. Torres, the bat-to-ball skills, might be the best in, at this 14U level. He's a 2026, so he's a young playdown. Did a lot of catching for the Texas squad. That's really coming along for him. As I said in the brief little opening, he is a shortstop by trade. But with what he's done with the bat, lots of doubles, pull gap, oppo gap, just really fluid stroke. And the development of the defense behind the plate, you're looking at another high-level bat, high-level defender, high-level prospect out of the state of Texas. Bear Calvo and Cole Crawford are two of the more famous names in the class already. You know, they've established themselves as top 10 type talents, two-time select festival alums already for each of them. And this past weekend showed more of the same kind of what we've come to expect with each of the two prospects. Calvo seemingly gets off the plane, gets to the field and just hits. You know, West Coast kid, comes to the East Coast a lot. Really good, powerful swing, yet balanced, uncoils on time more often than not. A lot of barrel, a lot of hard contact to all fields, and we again saw that while bringing a versatility aspect to defense behind the plate, up the middle, on the mound. He kind of does it all. And then you have Crawford, who came to the event a day late due to football, um, probably in full football mode, but you wouldn't know with the way he swung the bat. Found a lot of barrel, you know, long six foot three frame, so the athleticism, the projection, the present bat speed, they, they all showed up and the arm strength behind the plate is second to none. Threw a couple kids out, threw BBs down to second in between innings, and it's a really good package for the young Georgia native. A couple of arms I'm going to keep eyes on very closely moving into the summer circuit are Brady Hicks, a right-hander, six foot three out of Iowa. He's up to 82, came in in relief, one of the pool play games. It was really impressive. It was a short, fast arm action that you can see growing into some serious velocity coming down the road. Uh, Pono Kong got the start for Hawaii. Really good breaking ball, sharp 12-6, low 80s. We've seen him up to 85 in the past. Really athletic, simplistic operation on the mound, so there's no doubt more velocity in the tank for him. And Preston Matricardi, he's somebody I personally like with the bat. Saw him jump on the mound, made a big jump up to 82 but it was a field for two different breaking balls, very distinct in their shape and life that really helped him cruise through his four innings of work. You know, doing our research, there's a lot of different places I'm, I'm gathering all this information from. And the first stop I made, of course, was to BC's website. And I, I look at your photo, I'm looking at it right now. You've got the specs on, you got your suit on, you're looking fresh and all that. But the next thing I, I scroll down and I see are the numbers. And we mentioned that we also have Wyatt Langford on our podcast this week. And there's a lot of parallels, as Darren has said, to the freshman and sophomore year jump. And you look at your numbers, you, you played in 14 games, you started one, you had 14 at-bats, and you had one hit. He also had one hit. He was in four games and they were all as a pinch hitter and he had one hit and then you make the jump into your sophomore season. And I have to ask you the same question. What did you learn from your freshman year that you took with you and helped motivate you going into your sophomore season? 
Yeah, um, you know, obviously it wasn't ideal coming in freshman year not playing. Uh, I think everybody's goal is to play right away, and uh, that just wasn't in my wasn't in my cards. So, you know, it was definitely hard because I never experienced something like that in my life. You know, I was used to uh, being the best player on every team I played on, and um, you know, it was everything going my way when playing. So I came here, thought I was going to play, ended up not playing, but it definitely made me a better person and like helped me become the player that I am today because. Without that adversity, I don't think I would be like nearly as tough and nearly as driven as I am now. But um, yeah, I learned a lot that year uh, mentally too. So it was honestly beneficial for me and I'm glad that it happened. What would you say maybe are some of the details either about your team or just about the game that maybe you never had the chance to see or pick up on because you were that guy and you were always playing? What did you pick up on from the dugout that's made you a better person player? Yeah, you know, that freshman year, uh, sitting down in the dugout all the time and watching everybody play, there were a lot of talented guys on that team, guys like Sal Freilich, Cody Morissette, Luke Gold. So it was a pretty good group to sit back and watch. Um, Sal Freilich, uh, he was my role model. Uh, everything he does, he did. You know, I just want to do what, what he does, you know. He's uh, living the dream. First rounder, had a really good first year of pro ball. And kind of like I said before about Derek Jeter, Sal does everything the right way. Uh, Sal represents BC, uh, our values, like, character toughness and class in in a perfect sense sal he does everything the right way he's a really hard worker and he's even a really good player too so having him freshman year to uh to watch was honestly a blessing and um you know i still talk to sal today and he's one of my one of my good friends and uh hopefully i can get to where he is but um yeah i, I pretty much learned the most from sal so you have Sal is your pace car, you know, out front guiding you, probably a little bit as your psychologist that year when you got frustrated and, and someone to guide you to remind you not to hang up your spikes. There will be a time for you. But but there's also your brother, Bobby. You know, he's a Stony Brook guy, um, State State University of New York, Stony Brook, eight, 29th round pick in 18. And he had, as you and I were talking about, a very respectable professional career. Played for a handful of years. Obviously, most everyone lost their, their season in 2020. But talk to me about Bobby, your relationship, kind of how he was out front, how you watched him, how maybe you learned from him, and how he's guided you as well. Yeah, so uh, Bobby, also another one of my biggest role models in my life. Um, he's honestly the reason I started playing baseball. When I was younger, I didn't play right away. I remember I was a little late to the party. My brother was playing. You know, right when he's able to walk, my brother was swinging a bat, throwing the ball, playing wiffle ball. Um, I was a little later. I used to uh, like not really play sports in the beginning. So just watching him play was honestly another blessing because, you know, I said it about Sal, I said it about Jeter, but my brother's also in a similar category uh, as those guys, just because the type of person he is, the type of player he is, the type of worker he is. Um, he's a really hard worker. One of the hardest workers I've ever met in my life. He didn't have the most talent like all these other like big name guys. Um, but he got to the top uh, just because of how hard he worked and he did everything the right way as well. He respected the game. Uh, his baseball IQ was, was top tier. I've never, never seen a guy like that uh, even playing at these levels that I played at thus far in my career. Um, also his mental aspect towards the game, meaning like his attitude and just the way he handled like uh, adversity and struggle. Cause you know, obviously baseball, can't be perfect. And uh, it's a game of failure, like they say. And he was the best at that. I've never met anybody like that. Sal also was really good at it. But just having a guy like that to always watch. I go to the field uh, every day with him growing up and he would teach me everything I knew. So I just try to do uh, pretty much everything that he does. And thus far, it's, uh, it's helped me out. So 
he's he's the best. Travis, I can recall in 2020 hosting a draft show from this little home studio setup, and we had Jordan Walker come on, who ended up being picked high in the draft, Cardinals prospect, and I went on and on, and it wasn't rhetoric about how much I admired the class of 20 and all they had been through and all they had lost and all we had been through. Dude, that rhetoric, that those wordings, th that all applies to you just as much as to Jordan Walker. I start here, I look at you as a, as a 20 graduate, and I think of where you were. You know, not in Texas or Arizona where life was a little bit easier. Dude, they closed the doors on anything you could do actively. And you were a guy, your team, you know, Massapequa high, uh, high School, you guys were either winning state or going to state every single year. And then, boom, it was closed. How difficult was 20 on you as a player? And did that maybe touch your 21? I mean, you had to be scrambling to find places to play in, in the summer of 20. Yeah, so 2020 was honestly was honestly the craziest year definitely of my life. Um, like you mentioned before, Massapequa, we're a very successful baseball program. Uh, every year I was on the team, we made it to the States. Uh, sophomore year in 2018, won the state championship. 2019, uh, lost in state semifinal. 2020 was going to be an unbelievable year. We had so much talent. Um, we probably would have broke all the records of New York. I say that all the time, but it was it's probably true. Um, the talent – our coach always says that that would have been the most talented team that, you know, Massapequa probably ever has ever had. So honestly, it, um, going through that where we didn't know if we were going to play, we actually had tryouts. So we were able to try out and, and do a couple of inter squads before they shut everything down. But just that feeling of uncertainty, uh, knowing or not knowing if, uh, if we were going to have our season, we go to Disney every year uh, for like a spring training type deal. And it was booked. Everybody was, you know, ready to go, but, I remember it got canceled and that was kind of like when everyone got a little scared and was like, wow, we might actually not play our senior year together. Cause I've been playing with these guys since, you know, I was five years old and growing up with them. They're my best friends. I've known them forever. I still talk to them every single day. And just to get our senior year taken away like that, uh, it really hit hard. Um, I was looking forward to it my entire life because, you know, senior year is like your last hurrah of high school baseball. And like I mentioned before, probably going to win another state championship, which would have been a great way to end uh, the high school career. Um, and New York was was completely shut down. You couldn't do anything. So we had to make some uh, little adjustments on in the house. And, uh, you know, I was lifting in my garage. I was hitting balls in my garage into a net. And then sometimes we go out to the field. I go with my brother. Not many other people would come with me just because, you know, everybody was scared because of COVID and stuff like that. But um, it was definitely tough. But you know, everything's ha everything happens for a reason, so I'm glad it happened. Yeah, I can't help but think about you guys like you. I mean, I think about the drafted guys, but then I think about you too, you know. So it's uh, your class is always going to be a kick-ass class, man. You guys will have had that adversity that, that, that not a lot of others went through. Yeah, thank you. What, what did you do? So you, I mean, I, I was also in New York, um, and I went crazy at times, but I also knew that had to figure something out. So you, you spent time with your brother, you were lifting in the basement. What, what are some of the positives that you were able to take out of that experience? Yeah, I definitely say it, it wasn't ideal because the training facilities that we were training at were closed. So we couldn't even go over there. That's where we, uh, we would lift, we would hit, we do everything there. We'd hang out there for five hours a day. Uh, we got a really good group at the place I was at. So it was really fun to hang out there. But that was shut down. So we didn't really know what to do at all. Um, like I said, yeah, we had a gym set up in my garage uh, that we'd work out in. So that would, you know, 
kill some time. I remember going on a bunch of bunk, a uh, bunch of bike rides. I'm not a huge biker, but you know, it was a good time. I got, got, got to get out of the house and go with my friends, stuff like that. Um, not much, I played a lot of video games. We had to stay in a lot. So just got to spend a lot of time with my brother and my family. And uh, ultimately, you know, it, uh, it ended up working out, but yeah, during that it was, it was brutal. Mm. Yeah. But you've come so far and you, you have, you've traversed the moment, right. And, and there's always going to be something, some kind of adversity, you know, I know Darren and I are so excited to talk to you and, and talk about the growth that you've had. And, and now we're obviously not just here to, to reflect there, but the time that you spent the summer in the Cape and having that experience, paint us a picture, like take us with you on what that was like and what that means for you just as, um, you know, an accolade, you, you've got the state title, you, you are a, a division one college baseball player. What does it mean to play on the Cape? Yeah. So the Cape was definitely the best baseball experience I've ever had in my life. Uh, going to Boston college, a lot of my teammates are from Massachusetts. So, you know, I heard a lot about the Cape. Uh, everybody wants to go to the Cape. That's everybody's, everybody's dreams, everybody's goals. But, um, I never even knew what, what Cape Cod was when I was in high school. I would just, I remember watching a YouTube video of, uh, of Kyler Murray playing in the Cape. <laughs> so that was the first time I got exposed to that. Um, but I didn't know much about it. Uh, coach told me in the summer after, um, after the sophomore season that I was going to the Cape, I was playing for Orleans. So I was very excited. Uh, they were releasing our roster periodically. So it was cool to see like who I was going to go down there with. So there was a lot of anticipation leading up to it. So, um, and when I got there, it, it lived up to its expectations. It was like a party every night. The town of <laughs> Orleans, like that, that whole area of Orleans, their favorite thing to do is to come and watch us play. So wow. there would be some nights we'd have 4,000 people there. And Orleans ballpark is unbelievable. They have a, hit, uh, a big hill where all the fans sit on uh, down the right field line. So it was packed. And just the, the caliber of baseball down there and the amount of, the amount of stuff that I learned from not only the coaching staff, but even the players that I play with, because those guys are the best players in the country. So it was a really good time to play with those guys. But I really can't put into words how much fun I had down there just because it was probably the best time of my entire life. And I made a lot of friendships that I'll have for the rest of my life. So I'm grateful for that experience. Give me an example. Give me one or two, two good buddies. We just talked about that. And then our other conversation of one or two people that you might not have met. Maybe they're even conference foes of yours, but now you guys are, as far as communications, inseparable. Who you learn from? I would say definitely the biggest one is Jacob Wilson. Um, he goes to Grand Canyon. Everybody knows Jacob Wilson. I mean, it's hard not to know him. He's a, he's a heck of a ball player, one of the best players in the country, and he's he's even even better guy. Uh, right when I met him, he was always smiling, always happy, and you know I just kind of gravitated towards him, started talking to him, started hanging out with him, and. He was one of my best friends in the cave. I talked to him all the time. We played video games together. Uh, he always posts me up on his story. I post him up on my story when something happens. And uh, we have a really strong relationship. He is also an unbelievable player. So it was really cool to watch him play. Uh, the way he plays shortstop is like no other I've ever seen in my life. So it was really cool to watch him. And I'd say another guy that um, I have a really strong relationship with is probably Nate Furman. Uh, he's from Charlotte. He got drafted by the Guardians really hard worker, um, really scrappy player and really funny guy. So those are two of my best friends from the Cape. Do you, do you find it unique and, and a little bit odd that, that we asked Wyatt Langford the same question and his answer was Jacob Wilson? 
I mean, that 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 tells me that I know we just finished midterms, but in about 20 years, he maybe should run for something. That means he treats people very, very well. That's that's a huge Jacob, who's already been on this podcast. Jacob, that's a huge compliment to you that that a couple of gentlemen that played with you in two different places think that you're a quality guy. I like that, Travis. That's that, that's kind of shrinks shrinks the baseball world. I can't help but think of those people on the hill and the town folks and the host families and the pressure and then playing in your conference and the pressure. You seem to thrive under pressure. First year, you know, be darned. Let's put that away because you grew from, from the failure and the struggles. But where does it come from that you're a person that's wired to thrive and succeed under pressure? Is it family? Is it upbringing? Is it your character? Why, why does pressure work for you? Yeah, I'd probably say that it's definitely grown over time. Even in high school, though, I, I was put in a lot of pressure situations, you know, playing a state championship. Yeah. Uh, I remember playing for the county championship in high school. We had a bunch of fans there and a lot of opposing fans heckling us and stuff like that. So that definitely made me stronger. And um, honestly, not playing freshman year kind of shaped the person I am today just because, you know, had to overcome that adversity. But I would rather play a game with 10,000 people there than five people. It's just the type of guy I am. I really like when people watch me play and it makes me excited. And I, I like, I like to make people excited. So like when I'm out there and do something well and everybody's cheering, it, it makes me happy. So, and the Cape every night there was a, a big attendance. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of people to make happy. I love that because I actually think that's a part of the game that we don't talk a lot about, if at all, really, that you are truly in an arena with thousands upon thousands of people sometimes depending upon where you're playing and you are entertaining right you are entertaining them to an extent they're paying money to come see you and and I know you were the leadoff man that's something that you've said that you really love to do what is it about that spot or that moment for you um that you feel you play your best baseball I know Darren kind of asked the same thing but as the leadoff man you know you get to start things off yeah, I definitely say throughout my career, hitting leadoff is is my home. It's it's my favorite spot to hit, uh, especially when we're away. I love hitting leadoff away because, you know, you really get to set the tone, start the weekend off. Uh, first pitch, right from first pitch, you're involved in the game and you can set the tone and and get your team going. And um, something about being leadoff, man, just really, like, really gets me going personally, just because, you know, to start the game, all eyes are on you and uh, – Everybody's cheering for you. A lot of noise before first pitch, too. So it's really cool to hit leadoff. And I was able to do it in the Cape and also here at Boston College. And I'm hoping I'll hit leadoff here at Boston College this year as well. And, uh, yeah, the leadoff spot is is my home, and I hope I stay there forever. The last one I think that, that I have, Travis, is just building upon what you've done and what you've learned and then having the opportunity to go into the season and take all those tools in your toolbox and put them together. What Besides getting to Omaha, having a successful season with your team, what do you hope to improve upon yourself this season? Yeah, I definitely say, um, other than going to Omaha, obviously that's the goal for the team, but I definitely say I just want to have as much fun as possible uh, just because baseball's fun. And a lot of people forget that sometimes, but, you know, we've been playing this game since we were really young and we do it because we have fun. So ultimately the goal is to just go out there and have fun. And usually when you do that, a lot of good things come and, you know, you can't take it too seriously because guys take their career too seriously or, you know, take baseball too seriously, uh, usually fail. So um, I'm just going to go out there, have as much fun as I can, play with my friends and hopefully win a lot because winning is the most fun. So 
It's amazing your answer before I, when Danny asked you about making giving people joy. I mean, you're a performer, and and that that's very very cool. Weirdly enough, I was listening to the Smartless podcast, which I love, and Jack Black was on about two months ago, and he said the same thing. Like, I love making people giving them joy, getting them excited. I get it's like a drug for me. He finds himself doing it at. Now he's a comedian, not a baseball player, but he finds himself doing it at, at, at family meetings and different things that go on. And you're a performer. I think that that's super cool. Um, how difficult would it be for you if Aaron Judge would sign with the Mets? <laughs> that would break my heart. He is the heart and soul of the Yankees. We need him. We need him back with rocks. I mean, oh, Darren. No debate there. We need him. We need him. Stirring that would be pot. difficult then. Yes, that would be tough. I would not hear the end of it from my friends. Are you about to tell me that he signed with the Mets? I think. <laughs> no, 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 no. We surprised Wyatt Langford oh. on this podcast that we knew it was his birthday. We knew that, and he didn't know that we knew that. No, 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 no. And I'm not the person to know in that area. It's my co-host here. She's okay. she's on SNY like five times a week, so I'm not the person in the know at all, at all. I'm just curious. You did that to that him. Would, well, my, heart no, no, no. my heart just sucked. My heart I was really hoping. I, I would never surprise you like that. I may, I may, <laughs> but something tells me you would know way before I knew. Is it is it tough going? In, like how many how many Bostonians or Massachusetts residents do you have on your team? And if so, is that tough? I mean, you're a Yankees <laughs> fan, although they were terrible this year. Um, the Red Sox. Was it was it is it tough to be with Red Sox fans on your baseball team? Yeah, definitely. I mean, these guys don't know what it's like to uh, to like a real, you know, a real baseball team because I understand. Just, yeah. But um, all joking aside, Yankees had a to our expectation, not a great year, but to Red Sox fans, that would be, you know, an unbelievable year. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They'd be thrilled with it. I, I'm devastated <laughs> that, that my team, the Dodgers, didn't play your team, the Yankees in the World Series. I live devastated by it. I'm very saddened by it, um, but I guess I had to check in on you. That was my final question, just yeah. to make sure that you stay focused on your schoolwork and on your baseball and on your training. If in fact Aaron does sign somewhere else, um, I, <laughs> I, 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 San Francisco, he'd just be forgotten about. You know, everyone would just forget <laughs> about it. But uh, that happens. So, hopefully. but we can't overspend, though, can we? As a Yankees fan, can we overspend? Like. He is going to be 36 tomorrow. We did see the Albert Pujols journey, correct? The Yankees can overspend. They can do it. Okay. Okay. They were Spoken like a true year. Yankee fan. Spoken like a true Yankee yeah. fan. <laughs> thank you, man. This Travis, is awesome. Thank, thank you. you. We appreciate it. A couple of years ago, Edwin Thompson thrilled us all when he left Eastern Kentucky and took on the job at Georgetown in the Big East. We love Edwin on this podcast and in the perfect game world. His replacement, Chris Prothrow, has laid down his own set of standards and expectations. Uh, very similar, but yet very different. And we caught up with the head coach at Eastern Kentucky. Hunter Pence is my co-host. He's the, uh, a big driver of this conversation. Perfect Game College Baseball is the show. Here's a part of it. You can see it each week on Perfect Game TV. Wow, Chris. Uh, that's an amazing story. And it, it actually leads me perfectly into my first question. Uh, and, and kind of a little bit of what we were talking about before this whole thing uh, with regards to the World Series. The Astros play defense and they pitched really well. Uh, at Eastern Kentucky, I love hearing that you broke a record in fielding percentage and saves. Uh, pitching and late game bullpen and the, and the snowstorm, you obviously had the closer that had such an excellent season. Can you talk a little bit about just that season and 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 like to me how you came about having such a good late game bullpen this you know your 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 young closer will Brian 
and and the defense as a whole for Eastern Kentucky last season. So yeah, we were fortunate when we showed up as a staff in October 2020. Will was here, and he had had a history over the last couple of years, uh, or the two years prior to us showing up, where he had some kind of freak injury situations that he had had to go through and, and kind of come back from. At one point, he had a doctor tell him that it was in his best interest to never play baseball again. And so being able to come out of the other side of that, he worked really hard to put himself in the best position he could be from a, you know, from a physical standpoint, putting his arm, uh, at, you know, being able to work and get his arm care and, and his throwing program. And he had really developed a routine to be able to answer the bell every time. Hunter, this is something you've heard before. I, the best way I could describe Will is that he posted, right? He showed up every single day. And, you know, kind of going through what he went through from an adversity standpoint, thinking the game was going to get taken away from him at one point. Uh, you know, he never really, you know, there wasn't really a situation that he stepped in that was too much for him. So we had that in place. We had someone at the end of the game uh, that the moment wasn't going to be too much for him. And also he was super talented because you need to have both. And we had that in place. And so we were fortunate. And then we have, you know, a staff that has done a wonderful job from a teaching, like a concept standpoint of working with our infielders. As you know, uh, your team defense really is a function of your in infield defense. And we were really good on the infield. We're super athletic, guys that are fundamentally sound, that can do a, a, you know, a bunch of different things, play at a bunch of different positions that, you know, when you, when you can throw strikes and play defense consistently, you're in most games that you play. And we were fortunate to recruit to that. And then I think we have some coaches on our staff that did a great job of developing that. And so, I think this is year three, year one, we, we, we broke a fielding percentage record and year two, we did one better. So hopefully we can keep that moving. You know, here we got a bunch of those guys back. So hopefully that's something that could, a trend that continues. Yeah, Chris, I, I mean, I, that, that to me is, is like, obviously the staff and, and the people around you and you're at the helm, but also the players taking ownership, you know, cause defense, in my opinion is like, how much do you care about your teammate? You know, cause offense is, this is where you get drafted. This is, but like the selflessness of like mastering defense and, and having a team discipline. And then also with regards to pitching and winning, you had the, one of the greatest catchers and he's coming back. I got to hear a little bit about him, obviously, uh, you know, Will King and and what he was able to do with working with the staff, holding the running game. Uh, I know he was in the Buster Posey Catcher of the Year watch for a little bit. And, he, you know, having him coming back and what he was able to do last year. Can you talk a little bit about Will King and, and, and how he's able to work with the with the pitchers? Sure. Will showed up with us in January of 21. He was 17 years old. I think he turned 19 a couple of weeks ago. So you're looking at a guy that's got, you know, over 70 or 80 games of collegiate experience catching. Uh, you know, three or 400 college at-bats, and he just turned 19. Uh, he's mature beyond his, beyond his years. He's tough because he has to be. He's about five foot seven, 200 pounds, you know, soaking wet. So he's not the most physical as far as stature is concerned. So he's he, he's had a chip on his shoulder, I think, his entire career as far as what that looks and what he's had to overcome as far as being noticed. Uh, but he's also really, really good. You know, he can catch. He's re received block as well as anyone we've had really in our time. I think that can speak for all of our coaches. Uh, throughout the course of our time and careers. Uh, he's just a steady presence and he's tough and those guys trust him and and you've been around it when you have, you know, when pitchers believe that their catcher is in it with them, right? That they're in it with them every pitch, whether it's from the bullpen standpoint and they're working with them, but especially, you know, that they're really in it with them in the game, that they're invested in what their success looks like. You have a chance to really amplify what those guys are doing. And so Will has done a wonderful job of that. He's a really good offensive player too. But it starts and stops from a leadership perspective and how he controls the game from behind the plate with us. And we're super lucky to have him back.
I think of Arizona's Chase Davis as we put a bow on this show because he was a perfect game All-American. Like, Wyatt was a good player, but ranked, you know, 144. Travis Honeyman is ranked 500, so they have freshman years. They, they, they kind of scuffled, right? They each had their one hit. Chase Davis was a perfect game All-American. He was in mock drafts. He went to Arizona, and he sat his freshman year. He sat around and watched and went through the same thing. Last year, I feel like I called five of his walk-off home runs on television. He's a draft prospect, a high draft prospect at Arizona this year. He went through the same thing. So I think of him, um, but again, it wasn't with intent that you did this, but this to me is just a lesson of stick to itness for, for anybody who plays this game. You may get to an NAIA school and you may arrive and you may go one for 12 and you may think, what am I doing? I'm at the lowest level there is. I'm NAIA. Why am I wasting my parents and my time? Well, listen to these two guys and keep playing. You may not be the first pick in the draft, but you get to play longer, and that's the key. And, and I think these two gentlemen have provided some different roadmaps, very different roadmaps, certainly, um, of creativity, of stick to itness. I mean, Wyatt Flat admitted, I, I just kind of thought I could show up and be Wyatt Langford. That's what I thought, you know, and, and eat my Twinkies and have a good time. And he's so forthright and honest about what he learned and where he fell short and we all fall short all the time, again and again, 53, and I still fall short all the time. But are you paying attention? And both these guys are paying attention. I love it. Much like Chase Davis, I love the stories of these two men. I like the comparison a lot, and that's so true. I think what's important, too, for Wyatt is when he came to campus, he was a third baseman. He was a catcher. That's what he did in high school. He had to play with the big boys. He was 13, 14 years old, played up on varsity, was the guy, had a great arm, obviously, but there wasn't a ton of space for him on that stacked Florida team because Florida is always good, and so that is a part of the reason that he sat. And then sophomore year, he made the changes, and Kevin O'Sullivan – couldn't leave him out of the lineup, right? You had to get him in the lineup and now potentially could be the starting center fielder. His junior year drove his draft stock up so high that now you can't talk about college baseball and not talk about Wyatt Langford. He added the muscle. He's still eating some Twinkies, but maybe not as many now. He's not he's not being as strict as he was. He talks about that, but he he put in the work. Like he put his head down and put in the work. He didn't complain. He didn't think that, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not supposed to be here. He just realized that sometimes this is the landscape and this is the path that you're on. What do you want to do with the path? How do you want to how do you want to shape that path for yourself? And then for Travis, you mentioned being in New York, dealing with the pandemic here and how tough that was, spending time with his brother and his family working out and and also putting his head down. That BC program is a really, really good program. They've got great guys. Sal Freelich, one of the top guys who's come out of that program to get drafted. Cody Morissette, two guys that he just basically watched and soaked up all their knowledge and knew that, okay. If I do the same things they do, I might be able to have the same success. So I'm going to put my head down and do the work. And he, and he did it. And now both of these guys just in, they put themselves in these incredible positions, but stories of resilience and, and not just taking the easy way out or, or leaving when it gets tough. I feel like those are important pillars to the sport and they're really stand up people. They are, they come from really good families. They have great family support, but just really stand up guys who took some time to talk to us. And are, I think they're going to have pretty good seasons this year. And I'm excited that, that they stuck it out. I'm just really glad that they stayed. And now that they're going to, they're going to reap the fruits of their labor. So in my fun, unique and uh, circuitous route of a professional journey, you know, it's, it's been amazing sit downs with 
Commissioner Selig when he was the commissioner, Hank Aaron, and then current elite players, you know, when Chipper Jones was a rookie and the Glavin Smoltz Maddox when I was a young person up until now, you know, you and I talking to the Bobby Witts as they get to the top. So it's been fun, been able to kind of do it all. But these, these, this kind of chat, this kind of conversation is I find myself thinking, I can't believe I get paid to do this. When you get pulled into that, that's the kind of stuff you learn when you're sitting in the walls of a church. I mean, to to push on and 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 step forward. And and so for me, very fortunate, lucky that these two guys came together. There may be some divine intervention that or inspiration that pulled them together. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. We want to have you coming back. Uh, I, I've started to champion a little bit more in the world of campaigning when I got disgusted listening to everyone campaign over the last couple of months. I don't care how you voted, who you voted for, good for you, but just be, be done with it. Now I'm going to start campaigning. We need subscribers. We have two great podcasts. This is one of them. The other, go find it uh, in your Apple podcast world. It's 13 Pieces of Bubblegum. A little more grown up than this one in a sense. It's coaches. It's Clint Hurdle, former major league manager. But subscribe to this podcast. We, we, we're going to be back every two weeks like clockwork. So, And Danny puts together a great rundown, great show, great guest. Subscribe. Can I, can I tell you to subscribe? And if you do, I'll make sure you get something better than a Twinkie. Wyatt, you're better than that, dude. A Twinkie? If you're going to cheat, please do something better than a <laughs> Twinkie. You're making money already off your gear at fanarch.com. Go buy yourself something nicer than a Twinkie. Really, a Twinkie. Take a peek at what's in those things, cowboy. Like, <laughs> cheat. Please cheat. Please cheat. We want you to cheat. You've earned it. But please do better than a Twinkie. We love you, Wyatt, but do better than a Twinkie.